1: nice (laughs) thank you thank you very much that is a huge compliment coming from the person that you'll be seeing in a little bit but everyone welcome to another double toasted interview Corey Coleman here middle of the day if it's in the middle of the day that means I'm up and I'm up for somebody very special, you know, I wake up about 3 or 4 in the afternoon because I work so late, but if I'm getting up early, not only is, is it for someone who is very special today, but being that I have a background in animation, you know that a lot of my, not, not people that I admire, but a lot of my heroes are people who work in animation. And that is why I, I'm, I'm blown away to have the person that we have here today. Doesn't really need an introduction from me, but I'm gonna do it anyway, just to be, just to be nice. And I want to welcome today, again, a huge honor, Mr. Henry Selick. Henry, how are you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. Back so, home for a little bit. I'm out uh, promoting the new movie, *Wendell Wild*. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people know now that you have a new movie on Netflix, *Wendell and Wild*. Uh. It, came out this past week, I believe, just in time for Halloween. I've seen the film, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, it's an incredible looking film, as all of your movies are. Uh, No matter how they've been received, all your movies are amazing films. But uh, again, The Man Needs No Introduction, but in addition to *Window & Wild, uh, stop motion animator, just animator in general, filmmaker. Best known by a lot of people, by most people, for the Nightmare Before Christmas, but uh, we're going to jump into the conversation here and get into just pretty much your career, if you don't mind. Well, if you got a little time, I don't mind. I have a little. I, you know what? For you, I think I can make just a little bit of time. You know, <laughs> I'm a very, I'm a very busy man. But for you, I'll carve out a little bit. No, you know, I am seriously, I am pretty much uh, just. I'm blown away by the long history that you have in your career in animation. I, yeah. you know, I, because it makes sense that you did work in 2D animation, but, you know, because everyone has seen so much of your stop motion work, uh, you know, they, they, they haven't really recognized or talked about or mentioned a lot of the 2D work that you've done. There is a 2D animated film that came out years ago and it's one of my favorites and, and I don't know how many people especially younger people have seen this and I've talked about it to younger people. And if you don't mind I want to show a clip for a little bit of this, but I didn't know that you worked on Animal Olympics.
0: Animal Olympics. Presented by ZOO, the network that brings out the beast in sports
1: watched that when I was probably about eight years old, man, and all these years I've been a huge fan of yours and had no idea that you worked on that, in addition to things such as also uh, Pete's Dragon and Small One. Small One is a movie that I watched over and over again as a kid. Uh, So, can we talk about your career in 2D and what was the draw to 3D, the work that you're known for? uh, Not 3D, but Stop Motion, the work that you're known for now. Sure. Um, a slight correction.
0: I I um, I got a thank you. I think on Animal Olympics because I I brought in a good friend from Disney, Bill Croyer, to come in and direct that. But I didn't actually work on it. But I was, I was friends with the studio, friends with Bill, and I thought he'd be the perfect perfect guy for a uh, Steve Lisberger to to bring in, and that was a really well well done show. It, it's a complicated story because that was the one year the U.S. boycotted the Olympics. <laughs> um, but that—that's um nothing to do with your question. And the question for uh, the two D to three D, um, I had um I really didn't get into animation till I was already going to college. I was a, a fan of animation, but I was doing all kinds of artwork, and uh, I suddenly realized that all these things I was interested, in, you know, drawing. Photography, sculpting uh, could all come together in the in one medium. So the the very first thing that was easier was a little cutout animation, which is like uh, stop motion. I mean, you know, it's it's instead of dimensional puppets that have to support their weight. And then I did a, a project that had some hand drawn work in it. Um, eventually. It, further at uh, CalArts, I did a lot of hand-drawn I did a student film there called Phase that you know, got some notice um, started another one called Seepage which had a lot of hand-drawn but then also had some uh, large figures that I was doing as stop motion so I was learning so much about animation, about telling stories about um, sort of compositions, about timing I was working from some really uh under some really talented people this guy eric larson one of the nine old men was the the guy who trained the new animators back then this is the 1970s ancient history um i worked with under glenn king who um really taught me a lot but i i went off and i finished this film i'd started called seepage and i just got bit i just got bit that um the the uh It's not that it makes better films, but the process of stop motion became my favorite way to go. But I still use I work with 2D animators all the time to figure out um, facial expressions um, to 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 guide a lot of the animation, because, you know, I still think there's nothing
1: better than what you can get with hand drawn 2D animation. And forgive me for my misinformation on Animal Olympics. you know, I I, 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 oh. I I had read that you had worked on it, but you went uncredited on that, uh, you know, and I, along with other people like Brad Bird and people, uh, you know, animators who are well known like that. Uh, but it's still really cool to know that you were very much involved with that. And, you know, I, and, it, and it's very much... Nice that you still give a lot of respect to 2D animation. You know, that, it's funny how, yeah. you know, animation. What I've noticed, and what we'll come back to with uh, with some of your films, is that I've noticed that a lot of people love to put down certain in certain art forms, but especially animation when there's something new introduced. You know, uh, definitely when uh, you know you had uh, uh, 3D animation be introduced, people were talking about how you know, it's going to put 2D animation to shame. It's going to put people out of work. It's not going to be used as much. And we definitely don't see it used in film, you know, at least feature film as much. But, you know, one of the things that I noticed, and we'll just jump right into this, since we're talking right now about, you know, uh, uh, your your love of stop motion animation. You know, when you were involved with uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas here, uh, one of the things that happened with that is that a lot of people talked about how You know, you brought this back at a time when people were saying that stop motion was dead. People were saying that stop motion was done. And, you know, a lot of that happened because people were so enamored with 3D animation due to something like Jurassic Park. I remember when Jurassic Park came out and everybody talked about how uh, stop motion was dead at this point. There's no use in even like trying to do it anymore. What is your uh, how did you react to that when you heard that?
0: Um You bring up something important, and I've got I've got um, some feelings about it. I think that what what happened was there was like a a race between you know the best stop motion uh, effects in the world, which Phil Tippett was going to be doing for Jurassic Park, and then this the newfangled CG animation. Um, you know, F- Phil's who, who's a genius and. He spent his life preparing for, you know, stop motion with go motion to do these incredible dinosaurs, but just got edged out by Jurassic Park. Um, So for realistic special effects at that moment, yes, stop motion was done. Um, But it wasn't necessarily done for doing a feature. It hadn't hadn't really happened. There was something called Mad Monster Party which was a very low-budget comedy thing from Rankin and Bass, which was really fun. But as far as, like, a, a serious, uh, you know, support by major studio, um, it hadn't really happened. So, so on one hand, Stop Motion's done for, for realistic effects in movies, but on the other hand, at that moment, it's kind of like we got the first opportunity with, with Nightmare Before Christmas to really show off what Stop Motion could do with an incredible uh, original story and character designs by uh, Tim Burton and uh, a team of people that I had built, um, you know, starting with like these little MTV things that I had done for a while. See, I would kept going on the stop motion in the years between Tim first coming up with his idea and then when he finally got the support to to turn it into a, a feature. So again, I think it was like an amazing opportunity to show off what we could really do in stop motion, you know, with cameras moved around, um, with, with uh, you know, great songs to uh, animate to uh, from Danny Elfman. So Nightmare comes out and it's a hit. It's It's not maybe as big as some of the biggest Disney films, but it was a lower budget for Disney. It made its money and it kind of disappeared. Of course, we all know what happened. It eventually, sort of came back to life and and so forth and so on but what really happened for me in my area was we we're in the middle of making james the giant peach um this time you know with a lot more studio interference you know how it is oh oh well mm-hmm. we made a little money with that nightmare we can make a lot more if we help henry make his movies a little uh well a little more commercial or whatever so it was a harder film to make but then in the middle of it the, the 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 huge breakthrough comes through uh, Toy Story, and and of course it's easy for people to say, oh, it's because it's CG, it's so good. Well, CG is almost the last thing that's most important about that film. Most what's most important is it's incredible, innovative storytelling, and characters. But that's when
1: stop motion, for a while, got the death knell. Is when Toy Story came about, you say? With- yeah. Okay. Yeah, because, uh, you know, I remember that being said, too, when Toy Story came out, you know, and that's when I actually heard a lot of the of the talk with, uh, because when, when Jurassic Park came out, that's when people are talking about, well, ancient technology, like stop motion, that's gone. But yeah. when Toy Story 1 came out, that's when I heard people say, well, these kids are not going to want to see 2D anymore, even though it's crazy how much it was thriving and still is today on TV, you know, especially yeah. in the area of adult animation. Um, so, you know, it's always interesting to, to hear the artist and the animator's point of view on these different phases because, you know, it just really upsets me that people are so quick to cancel out the old thing. Like, it's like yeah. it's not going to exist anymore, you know? Yeah. No, you're, you're, you're
0: totally right. I
1: mean, Jurassic
0: Park was, that's end of it for, for special effects. And the primary reaction, the biggest impact from uh, Toy Story, it wasn't shutting down stop motion. It, it, it is that it started... Slowly but definitely to shut down 2D, which is just insane because, you know, films like uh, Brad Bird's Iron Giant Mm -hmm. has become like one of the all time greatest hand drawn 2D films. And then as recently as that Netflix feature Klaus, which is all hand drawn and they use a, a new technology to sort of cast shadows and make the figures have more dimension. But it's it's a modern masterpiece of 2D but you know how it goes. Um, the people in charge who make the money, they always want to like, what's the angle, what's the new thing. That's what we can sell. That's what we can count on. It's just kind of ridiculous because I've got two sons. They're grown now, Mm -hmm. but they don't care as much, especially the older son, Harry, he doesn't care about new. He wants the, the coolest, the best. So he searches like the music he listens to. It's from all different eras. Um, and I think actually, there's more of the public uh, like that from kids to old people. They just want to see really good stuff. They don't
1: care if it's brand new or ancient. No, exactly. Exactly. I, you know, I just, that's always been my thought. And, you know, and it's, you talk about it working within the studio system uh, and how they always just want new things. I, I know you've had some experiences that were not so pleasant with the studios out there. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But while we're, while we're still on the subject of uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas, I, you know, I just have to ask because I don't want to, you know, I know you've done a lot, and a lot of people want to concentrate on that film, but you know, I don't want to get stuck on that. But I do have to ask you, man, what is it like leaving the house and knowing that you and Tim Burton own a day now? You know, when you look at the Nightmare Before Christmas, man. Uh, you say it didn't have that much of an impact when it came out; it was successful. But you know, over over time, of course, this has become a, a cultural phenomenon. I mean, you know, when it, when Halloween comes around, as I said, you can't leave the house without seeing at least one Jack Skellington. You know, you everyone's wearing the costumes. Everyone's wearing the shirts all year round. What's that like to see that? Uh, it's 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 incredible. I mean.
0: Here I'll just tell you A short story Like If you If I can get this to show It's a little hard to see But I've got like An original Jack Skellington Up there I can't get You know A dress is Santa With a skeleton reindeer And there's Yeah uh, I see it deer at the head. So I've had that Since the movie And uh when the kids were little, my wife would go out with them and their friends for Halloween. I'd be home man in the candy bowls. <laughs> and, and, then, and then what happened was over over the years, more and more kids start showing up dressed up like uh, characters from Christmas. The, if they were with their parents, uh, I'd say, hey, here's something you might like to see. And I'd, I'd take him around the corner of the front door and show them that nightmare uh, sled. And, and And Jack, they would... Oh, they would scream with delight. Um, and then it's just sort of become a regular thing that more and more kids, um, the the uh, they brought out more and more toys and backpacks and things. And, um, and a real funny thing is when they first released the film Disney, they were afraid it would hurt their brand, so they didn't call it a Disney film, it was Touchstone. Yeah, Touchstone presents. And then I think it took about 10 years for them to fully embrace it. Why indeed it's a Disney film. Um, and I mean, just yesterday on the airplane, I was, I was flying uh, from, from LA to home, you know, the flight attendant, she had Nightmare Before Christmas socks at the airport at one of those uh, kiosks, you know, where, where, you, where you book your flight or whatever. It was all Nightmare Before Christmas. So it's it's just easy. It's crazy that something that's almost 30 years old just sort of seeped up uh, from its origins and and <laughs> was embraced by just about everybody.
1: Yeah. And you've kind of, you know, you you and you found the the, the, the perfect sweet spot. I mean, you kind of seep into Christmas, too, when. Uh, yeah. with this. Yeah. So yeah. Man, you're just taking everybody's holidays, man. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, I think. Uh,
0: why not? Halloween's yeah. too short. No one gets to enjoy Halloween long enough. That you is know, so true. Could, it, sh- it should be a national holiday. And
1: uh, I think we should get a whole week of celebrations for it. Well, you know, some people at least take a whole weekend when it comes around. So yeah. <laughs> uh, Now, to get to sort of, uh, you know, maybe a little touchy subject with the film. It's, yeah, there's always been this debate on who really put the most work into this movie or whose movie is this? And I'm talking about between you and Tim Burton. I don't know what it's like between you and Tim Burton. You know, a lot of people have talked about how Tim Burton, he he came up with the idea. He wrote the poem. So, you know, it's, it's his movie. But then you... Did all the work? You brought the movie to life. You know, you directed it. Uh, so, I, and I don't know if this has been a point of contention between you and Tim Burton, but how has this worked out throughout the years? Oh, it's um, maybe more contentious
0: in the past. Um, here's how I see it: it's as if it's as if Tim had written and illustrated an incredible kids' book, like a like like Dr. Seuss you know, you know, pick your favorite Dr. Seuss book. Mm -hmm. Horton Hears a Who or Horton, uh, you know, um, hatches the egg. One of those, it's as if that's what we had to start with. And and that's a lot, you know, it's like a, it's like, it's not that the book existed or was a bestseller, but Tim's talent is that, is that great, especially back then. Um, You know, you bring Danny Elfman into the stew and and uh, to write the songs, um, we actually started the film without a screenplay because the first the first writer uh, was very ill and he he'd worked with with he'd done Beetlejuice, but he had to fall away. Mm-hmm. We had to start with a song or two from Danny, but we we kind of knew the shape of what the story is going to be. And then Caroline Thompson, she came in and sort of stitched the songs together. Um, But, you know, it's the fact is there wouldn't have been the film. It wouldn't have been nearly as good without Tim. It just wouldn't have existed. It was his power that he got after doing films like Batman, you know, that allowed him to get this going again. And never we had no studio interference. I mean, I'd get a note from the studio and I'd say, well, what do you think? Um, Tim would say, well, if you like it, use it. If you don't like it, just ignore it. I, I thought that's how it was going to be in all the movies it, it no. wasn't like that no that but I mean it's me and my team that made the movie I mean we shaped the story we storyboarded it all um, every step of the way we wanted it to feel like Tim's world uh, but Tim was down in LA making two other films he was doing Batman Returns and then he went on to do Edward Jr. and we we showed him everything um, he basically Loved everything we did. The only only adjustments were when we started shooting Halloween Town. We started in Christmas Town, and I had an idea of the look that would be more like rolling, soft shapes, like a Doctor Seuss thing. And then when we get to Halloween Town, I wanted to sort of things spikier, limited color. But when we first started shooting that, he sent up Rick Heinrichs, who's one of the all time great production designers, and who was Tim's first creative partner to help us get the look down. Mm -hmm. Uh, to make it darker and simpler and then the very very end Tim showed up with his editor Chris Levinson to trim things out so that's really the relationship you know it's his movie in a major creative way but we made it and we made all the pieces fit and um, we brought these characters to life Jack Skellington I acted him out for the animators um you know, you take this beard and my hair away and I'm Jack Skellington. <laughs> so it's, um, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I suppose, you know, Tim, may put his name, Tim Burton's, maybe people would have confused it with the, the Nightmare on Elm Street or something like that. But it's, um, for a number of years, I certainly could have won a lot of bar bets about who directed Nightmare. I would have always, yeah, everyone would have said it's Tim Burton, and then I'd say Henry Selick, and here's the proof, and I'd get my $5. But over time, especially after I finally got to make a, a, a film really on my own, with my own total vision, Coraline, people started to get it. And uh, everyone certainly in the animation world knew, but it's okay, it's okay, it's one of those um, People who did the research knew, like Jordan Peele, knew when uh, I got together with him to start talking about Wendell and Wild. So I think it's worked out fine. It, it was, you know, a little, a little irksome, a little troublesome those first few years um, to, like, have to sometimes, well, I actually did direct it. And uh, we did it in San Francisco and Tim's down there. But... I think that's a pretty fair assessment of uh of the overview.
1: Yeah, no, it, it very much is. You know, I'm sure, like you said, I'm sure it was more contentious uh, back in the day, but no, it, it sounds it sounds very gentlemanly at this moment right now, you know. Um you know, you we were talking about your relationship with Hollywood studios and whatnot. And I've talked to a lot of uh filmmakers, some some that you've named today who have had great experiences with, with studios in Hollywood, but a lot have been, you know, they, they haven't been shy about coming out and saying that, yeah, it, I just, I do what I have to do to get a film done, but I just haven't had the best experiences. And I, you know, and that's, I, lo- I love the honesty with that, but I imagine that would apply to someone like yourself, because I don't know how many people know that you almost did a Pixar movie. Uh, Actually, you did do a Pixar movie and it got pulled halfway through. Uh, If you don't mind, I would like to show people a little bit of the film that you were working on for Pixar. I believe it's called The Shadow King, right? That's right. Yeah. Again, I don't know how many people have seen this, but once you see it, you're going to wish the project had gone through. But let's go ahead and take a look at this quick clip from The Shadow King. shadows with these uh, So this is a kid with I imagine uh, deformed fingers who wants to do shadow puppets but of course because of his of his condition because of his hands he can uh this this is uh, over from what I read and again you know not everything I've been reading is correct but from what I read this was over a year of production and 50 million dollars uh that Disney said that they lost on this uh and that was because one of the excuses again that I read was that the movie was just too weird so again we don't hear very much from the directors and the filmmakers behind a project that gets shelved like this but you know you, I imagine you're very frustrated by this but how do you feel about having a project that's so dear to you and so, and had so much work go into it and money all of a sudden just be pulled well let me give you the overview um, you know I had done Coraline
0: which was seriously I got total support it, it wasn't easy to make but i got to do it exactly how i wanted um you know the distributors were worried about it one of the, the producers was worried about it but not not the studio Leica. it was their first film maybe they just didn't know any better but they supported me 100 percent. and so i come from that and i'm i'm mixing the sound you know at the very end Pictures done, and you're you're mixing like how loud are the voices and the music and so forth. I'm there at this uh, place um, in California that that I'd gone to before, and then who shows up? But John Lasseter just happens to be there, and he wants to see the film, and he really likes it. And then he shows it everybody at Pixar, and so after um, after Coraline comes out, he he um, invites me to do a project with them and and with Disney because. Um, they had been bought by Disney at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it really comes down to this. They thought that they could make my films better. You know, that they feel, oh, we love Coraline, but really they're thinking, yeah, it's pretty good, but we could make it better because we got the smartest and best story people in the world. Um, but what it really comes down to is they didn't recognize what's actually there or what my visions are and that, that there's any value to that. So over time, you know, I'm developing, developing. We we put a studio together, stop motion studio, and we're hiring people. But it just, you know, John and and maybe maybe the others there as well. They just didn't get it. And so they kept changing things and changing things and changing things. Um, and that made the money go up and up and up. They. uh <sighs> I mean they started giving me notes like after a year of the way it had been a year before when it was my movie and uh, it kind of just got to this point where um, you know they just yeah the, the, it's too weird the costs were getting too high and I, and I agree about the cost it wasn't 50 million though they threw in a couple of other projects of theirs to write off but it was a lot of money and um when it it was shut down, it was like both the saddest day and the happiest day of my life. (laughs) I'd never been beat up so badly. And this is after, you know, well after Nightmare, but just after Coraline, to be beat up this bad by people who know better, it was torture, you know? It just was, Mm -hmm. it was just really rough. And, um, You know, just what do you call it? Creative differences and uh, end of the day, um, being in business with Huggy Bear, uh, which is John. That's what we all call John (laughs) Lasseter. Why'd you call him Huggy Bear? Well, he's known for hugging a little too long. Uh, Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: He's
0: an equal opportunity hugger. He'll hug you. He'll hug a pretty woman, an old lady, but he'll hold on like he owns you. A long time And um, It just was It was a marriage Made in hell But guess what I got the rights back From Disney And maybe If uh, If uh, the new film
1: Is considered a success Maybe I'll revive The Shadow King that, you know, I was going to ask, that, that was going to be my question. If there's any way to, I was. you used a better word than I would have used. You, you said revive. I was going to say, is there any way to salvage this? Which is not a, you know, that's not a very good word to use for that. But I was going to ask you if you could actually somehow get this project started again.
0: Yeah, it would be, um it'd be different. It'd be like my original story, which they claimed they loved, but then changed everything in it. Yeah. Uh, it would be more like that. It would have to be. And, uh, you know, in my mind, it was sort of like a darker, um, in tone, uh, Dumbo, you know, Dumbo's made fun of for his big ears. And then it turns out, my God, that, that elephant can fly. Well, this was, you know, a kid with deformed hands and maybe they're not as cute as big ears. And that was their problem. Hmm. But that that this really messed up thing, he's going to get taught by a living shadow girl. How to use those hands to not only make the greatest hand shadows in the world, but hand shadows that can come to life.
1: I thought that was a good good story,
0: and I, I still think it is. You
1: know, that's that's something I was going to ask you about when you know with with uh, Wendell and Wild. Uh, first of all, people, let me just go ahead and play just I want to play a clip of this because Wendell and Wild I've I've watched twice just for the visuals alone. You know, one of the coolest things about stop motion today, for everybody talking about, this, okay, so this is a good lesson in life. You know, it goes, it goes back to just the simple thing of, if we all just work together and get along, we can make incredible things. Because this whole thing about pitting one art medium, or art form against another, is counterproductive. You know, looking at Wendell and Wild, and some of the other stop motion projects, whether you've done them or somebody else has done them, throughout the years, it's been great to see how technology and, you know, maybe even CG has assisted the look of stop motion and made the process and the technology has made the process easier that we have today. But this, I'm going to show Wendell and Wilde here. Wendell and Wilde is uh, Henry's, Henry Selick's latest film on Netflix. And there's a few reasons to watch this. First of all, because it's beautiful. Second, because of the, the approach to the story. It is one of the few PG-13 Animated films that we get out there today, which I'm very happy to see. And uh, also, it's just sort of a dream collaboration between Mr. Selick right here and Jordan Peele. Here's a little clip if you haven't seen one already, which I'm sure most people have. Oh, I'm having a vision! <laughs> a green headed girl. <laughs> she seems so real.
0: Greetings! We, we, we are the magician mortician, the teeth of
1: the afterlife. So, Have you experienced a little more freedom? People allowing you to do the vision that you want working with Netflix? Ultimately, I absolutely got the the movie I wanted to
0: make with my collaborator, Jordan. Jordan Peele was very instrumental. Um, You know, when I first reached out to him and his his, uh, at the time comedy partner, Keegan-Michael Key, um, it was it was more about maybe using their voices for this very old idea I'd come up with about these two demon brothers. Um, but Jordan wanted to do more. He wanted to be a collaborator and a producer. And he let me read his script to get out before he made the film. And I knew he was a genius at comedy. Then I discovered he's a genius at storytelling and horror. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, that's where the story really began to be shaped, even though it was an old idea of mine. And then he had to go off and make Get Out. And that turns out to be this monster hit, incredibly good movie. He won an Academy Award for best screenplay. And then I was just riding his coattails to set up the movie the right way. And we set it up the right way at Netflix. They um, they said, "Our deal is if we like you, we like your project, and we like both, we will make the film. We won't just develop the hell out of it and whatever, give you lip service. We're going to make it. And they gave us PG-13. We wanted to get that from the get-go to give us the freedom, you know, to go where we felt we we might want to go. Now, it wasn't all smooth sailing. Um, you know, new executives came in while we were already underway. They came from DreamWorks with the DreamWorks sensibility. So there's probably about a year of adjusting to each other. And they brought some good stuff to the film, but they also... They adjusted their own sensibilities. And then towards the end, we had another executive Karen Tolliver. She came in and now she's running the animation Netflix. And she was great. A little hard to take because she had some new thoughts, new ideas. But her fresh eyes really helped the film. They helped us get all the music we wanted. Um, So I'd say that this was it wasn't like total support all the way through. It was more of a, a dance. Uh, but I feel very supported by the studio uh, and, and feel like we totally got what we wanted on screen. So this is this is one of the good ones. This is like Nightmare and like Coraline.
1: This does represent just the film we wanted to make. No, it's again, the story, I, I enjoyed it. But if you I mean, just from a visual standpoint, people should watch this. It's, an, it's incredible the way this movie looks again, there's nothing really out there like this. I I, I will tell you this though. Another thing that I appreciate about the film is uh, in the beginning, I noticed a little something with this at at the very beginning. It's established that your lead character of cat, not only her, but her parents like later, she's a, she's a punk rocker in the movie, but her parents are definitely into punk music. More specifically, Black punk music, or what some people label as Afro punk, uh, I, th- you know, here's the thing: when ever you have a black character, like you have with Kat in this movie, the marketing is always going to emphasize hip hop, because that's just the way people, you know, they, I guess that's how they relate today. But, uh, you know, her whole culture is this music that is not generally associated with, with people of color, especially black people. But that led me to, to research some things about you when I was looking at, when I was just looking up uh, this character in black music and black punk music. I, I didn't know that you had directed and the live-action video for for Fishbone back in the day, which is a uh, party at, party at Ground Zero. You have been so you have been so involved in my life throughout my throughout my childhood. <laughs> and today, I did not know that you were just always in the background man, I love Fishbone. I love bad brains. I love, I, you know, I love rock and punk music and I love, you know, you play it uh, in living color in, in the movie. And so you yourself, were you part of the punk scene? And I'm just assuming that the idea to have cat be a, a punk rocker and all the black Afro punk music that's in there. Uh, that's, that's coming from you.
0: Yeah, I know it's, it's unexpected, but you know, I've been a lifetime, musician um you know i was in bands and stuff and uh you know guitar and keyboards and uh i was i was into into punk and uh through doing well fishbone i i um i kind of found well all these other it was just called black punk bands from the from the 70s and 80s and um You know, it's just always been this thing (laughs) that black rock and roll. I mean, it is rock and roll. That's where it was really invented. Um, Not Elvis Presley. And it's always lived side by side and sometimes together. Um, You know, Fishbone. In its day, it had a bigger white audience, and they always kind of wish they had a larger black audience, but they eventually grew there. Anyway, so it's it's just part of my background. I knew about it. I always loved that band, and um, I love I love the, the other bands that we we featured. But it it, it started with um, just like what's to look for. Cat, I mean, hip hop is too much a, of a cliche. It's not that it's constantly reinvented, and new artists or classic um, songs don't work forever. But um, we were looking for something different. And then I became aware and and Jordan as well of this modern Afro punk thing. It's about 10 years old. It's sort of a cultural musical movement of younger people um, kind of celebrating first generation black and brown punk and then honoring new bands and bands that have happened from those times till now. And they have festivals with the old guard and then new people, and they even have you know, Afro Punk adjacent people that show up like Janelle Monet. Um, mm-hmm. but the main thing at first was simply the fashions, the hair, the body art, the costumes, the the, the best that these Afro are doing, it's like the best, you know, fashion art body. Art. They're like aliens from a superior civilization. <laughs> <laughs> so incredibly innovative and talented. And it's like, like, wow. And so that that was like, yes, that's what that's what Kat's going to be. But then it came down. But why? And then that helped fill in the story about, well, that's a connection to her. Her dad, she's got this whole boombox, a mixtape. And she's discovered some new things. So um, it was just one of those things that like it fell into place and then rippled right through and became an emotional through line. But man, was it fun to find the songs like what's right for this moment? What's right for this? Uh, You know, there's a few things that don't quite fit the mold, but they still fit the film Mm -hmm. like I believe in miracles for when Father Bess is brought back to life. But that was a huge, huge, huge fun. I haven't been in touch with Fishbone. I want to reconnect over this movie and um, they're still performing. Uh, they're still out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've actually, I was in a, I was in Seattle not long ago, and I was, uh, I was impressed to see that they were actually, they were, they were playing somewhere. There was a flyer for them, and they were playing somewhere, and I, I didn't get a chance to see them, but I thought that that was pretty incredible that they're still out there performing like, like that.
0: And, and they're still dangerous. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's, yeah. Can you believe after all this fun. time? In this day and age? Yeah, they, what's that? Yeah.
0: Yeah, they were they were um, so talented and remain, I mean, they were really good musicians. See, that, the thing about most of the white punk bands is it was like part of the deal was, oh, they don't have to play their instruments. It's all about attitude. Well, that only could take me so far. I, I still like, you know, some musicianship and, and Fishbone were incredibly good.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, man, I was... I, I can't tell you how excited I was I shouldn't even have been as excited as I was just to to know that you had uh directed this, but that just blew me away in the most in, in in the best way um you know that's such a positive area to to you know of your career to talk about and you know it's such a positive thing to talk about your love of music and especially you know uh black punk music and black music in general but you know'cause i i hesitate to bring this up here but uh you know I have not prepared and I, and I gotta ask you about this um so, so monkey bone from back in the day. Uh, I forgot when this was made. This is, about, this is, this is sort of a combination, you know, because you've you've done just so many things that have been mixed media, and I thought I think that's very that's a very exciting way to work. Monkey bone was a movie with Brendan Fraser where it combined a little bit of two D, as you can see right here, but it also had. A lot of uh, it combined live action and also a lot of, uh, of course, your trademark stop motion look and designs in there. However, the movie did not do very well, did not do well at the box office. Mm -hmm. Didn't. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Critics weren't too kind on on this movie. So, you know, when when you whenever you have a, uh, a project that does not do well. I, I often ask the artists, how do they feel about it? And I get different answers. Some of them say, I still stand by this, I love it. And some people say, well, yeah, at the time, you know, it was just a miscalculation or I learned from this. Where do you stand right now on this movie Monkey Bone?
0: You know, from, uh, this is like, I think 20 years ago or or, or 21, it, it was finished and came out. Um, I have a few feelings. I don't think it would ever have been a big hit um, as it was, but there are a couple of a couple of, like things I want to say about it. That um, the head of the studio, Bill Mechanic, uh, he got fired. It was Rupert Murdoch who you know owned 20th Century Fox. He's still out there twisting the news and all that. <laughs> but Bill had he he had huge hit films. You know, he did the Titanic. He 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 did something about Mary had tons and tons of success, but he liked to take a chance. So he did Fight Club uh, with David Fincher and this film. And Rupert just hated that he took chances. So he got fired. We had a new person come in, not an evil person, but like it was sort of like, what the hell are we going to do with this film? And so it was cut to the bone. It was taken away from me and recut, recut. And there was a lot more animation in it. Um, and at the end of the day, they, they, it's called dumping. They dump the film with no publicity, not a single ad, because they just, well, it's a, it's a failure. We don't want to help it in any which way. And so the funniest thing of all though, we did get rave reviews in the New York Times, in the LA Times, mm. uh, you know, like top, the best, they said best comedy of the year, like crazy good. And then we got like uh, Entertainment Weekly, we got pretty good. But then for a lot of other critics it's like they're angry about this film. They they it it was upsetting to them. It made them mad. And um so I've I've two thoughts that it would never have been a big hit. It certainly would have done better if they'd advertised a little or if they took those you know how if you have a, a really good review, you take those reviews, you post them in a in a thing. Um but I um okay, so it would have been more successful, but never a big hit if they'd actually promoted it. Um I still would like to do a director's cut because there's a lot of cool stuff that was that was removed. Um I think I would trim down Brendan a little. Like Brendan Fraser is a talented man, you know, he's sort of making a comeback. But him in this film and then he did a film after this called bedazzled certain type of comedy he can pull off like georgia of the jungle yeah he's incredible but this one and bedazzled it's not really his forte so i would do a little trimming on him i would bring up dave foley i'd bring up uh, all the animation um but you know my main lesson my main lesson learned is i don't really do well in the live-action universe, I've um, done uh, I've done a little bit, I've done little bit bits of it here and there, but I love my world of stop motion. The animators, the 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 crew there. I like working with actors for the voices, and that's really my strength. So I went down a slippery slope to make Monkey Bone, but the film that came out is not my vision of what the film could have been. And I'm just don't, I just do not i do not thrive in that, in that world. You know, you got a whole army of people focused on getting one shot. Now you might have a second unit doing, you know, some effect shots and things like that. But in, in stop motion, you have your army divided into these little teams. And the, we're doing a whole bunch of shots at once very slowly. Mm-hmm. And it's just,
1: that's, that's what I'm meant to do. I'm not, I'm not meant to direct live action. Did you cast so. Bry- Brendan Fraser? Was that your choice? Um,
0: I was happy to have him But the first choice was Ben Stiller Ben Stiller His film uh, Something About Mary Had been made And I saw it It was made the same studio uh, 20th Century Fox Mm -hmm. And it was I knew it was going to be a huge hit And so we went to him Before the film came out And he was really interested in doing it And um, I wanted to support that And You know He wanted to bring in writers Because he didn't think it was funny enough He was right and, you know, it's it's just one of those things where I know now, you know, you, you, you do what you have to for your movie. The movie has to come first over friendship, over loyalty. I mean, you're not killing people if you fire them, but if they're not good for a movie, you don't keep them. And the first writer that was a friend, I should have like gone with Ben because the first writer still would have gotten his credit, but Ben would have made that movie way funnier. And I just think he was uh, at that time in his life, he probably could have handled that
1: that part a little better than Brendan. Uh, you know, it's that's uh, interesting to hear that. Also, I want to know if you've heard this before, but there there have been uh, so there have been some comparisons to that movie to another another film that didn't do. You know that well at the box office, critically also. That was a combination of of live action animation, and that movie is uh, is, is Cool World. Uh, have you heard comparisons drawn from from Monkey Bone to Cool World? You know, it's about both of the about cartoonist artists. Both of them have car wrecks that send them into spiraling into the world a weird animated world. Uh, have you heard any comparisons like that? I
0: haven't. Um, I'm aware of the film. And I've never seen it. I mean, I, w- I was originally a fan of Ralph Bakshi's first stuff, but I grew to kind of hate his. Uh, his <laughs> you know, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to name the names of the movies, but I kind of became anti-Bakshi. You know, I think for good reasons. Uh, and I never saw that, so I don't know the comparisons.
1: Dan, I'm sorry I ever brought that up. Then, since you don't, know <laughs> like no, it's so fine. So many of his movies, it's fine. No, you've got, you've got your thing, and. You know, I, I, can't, I can't blame Monkey
0: Bones' failure on on other people. I think it would have been better if I'd gotten what I wanted in a mm-hmm. few years. But that really failure, I have to own that. Yeah. I think that at the end of the day, that's me, that's mine. And the lesson learned is
1: keep out of live action, Henry. <laughs> I think, you know what, with the right project, and I'm not saying this to, to, to kiss ass anything. I, 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 I think with the right project, you do well. With live action, that's just me. If I can give you any kind of encur- encouragement, you know, I know you had you you ha- you know your area. You love animation, but you know, I think if you had a project where it wasn't split between two mediums, I think you do very well with live action. Maybe a small, a
0: small live action film with a really, really strong story and characters. You know, kind of a
1: smaller world. Yeah, I just remember things that you would do with live action. Uh, back in the days of MTV when they used to show bumpers and experimental films. I remember Slow Bob. Uh, yeah, that we, was a good mix. Yeah, yeah. Slow Bob in the Lower Dimensions, man. I remember seeing this all the time and loved it because of how weird it looked. Uh, I think you do I think you do very well with live action with the right project. But that's just me trying to be encouraging in a in a very honest way. You know what I find is um
0: in live action, especially on a film like Mudbone, is there's different kinds of pressures and this studio really is in your face. And they're right there. They're checking in on you. But when I'm off doing a little film or like a short film, like slow Bob or stop motion, they get bored. They might come and visit, but then they leave. But then I can, I can <laughs> do I want. So it's, um, if I could get that situation, we're sure. I'm going to listen to them, the studios. If they got a good idea, I'm going to use it. But mainly I got to be able to say yes or no. And then do my work. So yeah. you know, that's a situation. You know, like Slow Bob, um, where yeah, I could I can use some live action and combine it in a way that's uh, it, it marries.
1: Yeah, uh, I, and again, I want to end this on a positive. I have one more thing I want to ask you, and this is just something I'm very interested in, and it's very simple too. Uh, you at least i read again that your influences for stop motion came from things that i loved as a kid like the seventh voyage of sinbad you also mentioned a film that i did not know about and i actually want to go i want to go and see this i watched this it's on youtube uh this film here which is i believe the uh, the uh print, the, the what is it the adventures of princess ahmed yeah, Avengers a, of Prince Achmed. Yeah, Prince Achmed. Yeah, which is, this is more of a, this looks this, this more like cutouts or, you know, the, uh shadow puppet animation. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you can elaborate on that, but also, what are some of the influences outside of those things I just mentioned that really had an influence on uh, on you and your career? Yeah, I, I saw those two things when I was really young.
0: My mother took me to the... See, my mother kind of likes uh, scary, spooky stuff. And I shared that interest with her, or I got it from her. But she took me to see Seventh Voyager Sinbad when I was like five years old. And I uh, actually had nightmares about that. <laughs> cyclops. About that Cyclops. I, mean, I, I dreamed it was growing. We had a fish tank, and I dreamed it was growing in there, getting bigger and bigger. I was like hiding under my bed. But in time, I grew to love that. I found like for a lot of kids, the thing that that really got their attention, that scared them, they developed a love for later. I think it actually kids need to be scared, not not scarred, but scared. So I, I saw that when I was really young. I saw The Adventures of Prince Ahmed and not as a whole film, but like a local TV station, they showed cartoons and they had a that, you know, a, a moderator, a host. Uh, they cut it into little short films. So I saw it as shorts and only years later saw the whole thing. Uh, but yeah, it's cut out animation. It was done before Snow White. Um, this this uh, woman did it almost all by herself, Lottie Reiniger. Um, so I saw those at very young. I also um, there were certain things by Disney. I loved the uh, Night on Bald Mountain from the first Fantasia. You know it's scary as hell there's like a giant s- Satan here coming out of a mountain and souls of the dead and horseback being you know ridden up to him, but I also like the sequence with Mickey Mouse in the sorcerer's Apprentice mm-hmm. that it was it was it was dark and fun and scary um you know later all kind all kinds of influences later growing up um Uh, So so but those those sort of primal things that I've never left behind, they just like underneath it all. Those are the things that I I embraced um, at an early age.
1: Yeah. You know, I could definitely see a lot of influence uh, uh, on you from something like uh, Night on Ball Mountain. I mean, a lot of people, I think, would even look at Nightmare Before Christmas and see some of this influence in there. You know, I don't know if I'm correct or not, but it definitely I, I, I can see that having an influence on you. Uh, it's,
0: it's, it's in there. It may not be like we directly looked and did it, but it's it's cooking. We've got those ghosts flying out of the gravestones, you know, on yeah. our introduction to Halloween Town. It's um, something else I forgot to mention, but some of the, the Fleischer Brothers cartoons um, the Betty Boops that they, they uh, had Cab Calloway you know, the famous band leader and yeah. singer. you would have him perform and they would rotoscope him, but then they'd turn him into these uh sort of magical figures. There was uh um oh Saint Infirmary Saint James Infirmary Blues, one of the best shorts of all time in history. The old man in the mountain. Um the Flesh Brothers were doing crazy surreal stuff at the same time as hmm. Oh, Dizzy in their shorts and uh, shorts to shorts
1: those uh those weird Betty Boops that was way more to my oh yeah my life. like the, the 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 mini the moocher sequence yeah with, uh, where they go yeah. down the hill which is it it's frightening in a way man I you know before we leave I just show people a little bit right here
0: it's good, it's good. yeah
1: There.
0: He took down to Chinatown.
1: That's so weird, and the backgrounds are so surreal. It's uh, yeah, it's creepy, but it's also really amazing, and it's and it's fun. Uh, direct yeah. a direct influence on Oogie Boogie. Ah, oh, and even I could see that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, you know, it's been such a pleasure talking to you, and I and and uh, I'm very very grateful, extremely grateful for the time that you let me spend with you. And I tell you. You know i might not be in the room and i can't touch those 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 puppets behind you but just to even be this close to seeing those puppets in the same room with you is incredible uh i gotta ask you how long do those like what's the durability on those puppets well corey um the early ones we use different materials
0: and uh depending on what they are like oogie boogie or something his body's just crumbled away and all that's left is like a metal skeleton. Mm-hmm. The more modern puppets start with like Coraline, we use better materials and, uh, you know, they're going to last forever. Yeah. But I got a friend, I've got this genius friend named Martin Wignet and he can, he can fix anything. So, you know, if on one of the older puppets, uh, uh, the fingers start dripping because we use some weird material, he'll make me some new ones. and uh, you know, keep keep those guys uh, in in tip top shape.
1: Uh, again, this has been such a an amazing discussion, and going back and doing research on your career, it has been. It's almost like I went and looked up my ancestors or something to see just how many projects you worked on that had such a big influence yeah. on me growing up. You know, and having a career, having an influence on my career in animation, which is not as illustrious as yours, but it did take me places. But I really do. Thank you so much for spending the time with me today. Uh, I can't tell you how much um, that means to me. It's uh, I appreciate spending the time with you, someone as knowledgeable as yourself.
0: I would want to add, as sort of a final note, that um, I've definitely had my trials and tribulations and struggles, um, but I've got to do enough things just the way I want it. And those are the things that have been the most successful. So, you know, looking back, especially with with this new film, um, which I'm I'm incredibly proud of, uh, we tackle some interesting uh, social issues. We take you places you never seen in an animated film before, not in this country. And um, so looking back, I'm I'm really proud and happy of my career, despite the setbacks and mistakes, conflicts, but you know if I'm ever going to make another film again I just hope the the people understand this support my vision I'll listen to your ideas and we'll come up with something amazing but you try to impose too much it's just going to be a car wreck
1: and that's the way it should be for a lot of artists out there you know tr- trust the vision you do c- tackle a lot of uh, subjects with this movie the the privatized prison industrial complex you know, an animated movie. That's ambitious is what I used when I was talking about my review of this. So, people, please go watch this. It's <laughs> Wendell and Wild. It's, it's, a, it's, it's an incredible uh, visual movie, but also there's a lot of ideas that are very ambitious and also very admirable. Uh, and again, yeah. supporting an artists such as Henry Selleck, man, who, you know, it's not about... It's not about the cynical business of Hollywood. It's not trying to make something for money. This is not a studio film. This is an artist's vision right here. And uh, it has my full support. And I hope people watch this. And it seems like you already are having success with this, which I hope you are, so we we can see more projects like this coming from you.
0: Thanks so much, Corey. And uh, I ask you, uh, people watch it on Netflix, if you like it the first time, watch it twice. Because you'll get the first time, You're it's, it's overwhelming. I think the second time you'll kind of like tune in a little more to the story beyond the visuals. Yes. Um, but I hope
1: you. I hope you uh, if you if you watch it. I hope you enjoy it. Well, again, I I would say good luck with everything, but you don't need that, you know, a a visionary genius such as yourself. You're always going to make things, man. So I'm not I'm not worried about your future prospects at all. Uh, People get once again, legendary animator Henry Selick. Thank you so much. And uh, I I hope for your next project, we get to speak again. All right. Corey Coleman. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, sir. And I'll just cut you off over here and you have a good one. You too. Oh, folks. And thank you out there. The community, TOSIs, all the people who support what we do. Because if it weren't for you, I would not be able to speak to heroes. For people such as myself, such as Henry Selick, who I do consider very much a hero. Having a huge influence on where i have taken my influences in life so thank you very much i do do i again couldn't do without you this is uh this this for me this is a dream come true and hopefully we'll be able to do more oh there's my dog i have to put her down to cut (laughs) i have to put her down to cut off the zoom call over there every time i put her down she's always on the ground looking at me with her ears back she looks like she's been beaten or abused or neglected and you know that's not the case at all hey did you enjoy the interview did you enjoy talking to mr henry selick maybe he'll make a film about you one day who knows all right everybody thank you so much and there will be a next one and we'll see you when that happens so I always forget to do this. If you enjoyed this and who knows, I might actually take these interviews and put them somewhere else. But let me see if I can actually pull this up because this will go. This will be an addition to our catalog of other interviews that we've done with other artists and uh, you can hear it right there, other artists and other animators and actors and directors I've even talked to tech people but you can find this interview soon and many others on Double Toasted Interviews where we have so many people that we've spoken with and always something to learn from these conversations and discussions which is what I hope you got from this interview today So go check those out, and as I said, check us out on the next one, whether that's another show, another interview, whatever we may have. Or or just contact me anytime, anytime. You know, it's easy to do, day and night. Whether I'm sleep or awake, you can always reach me kcoolmans at gmail.com that is k-c-o-o-l-m-a-n-z at gmail.com you email us with any kind of questions comments compliments insults input and our advice hit us up on our social medias instagram twitter facebook uh, i don't know about twitter right now you know that's a little weird but it's still around uh, also have patreon also have tiktok this is an old bumper but we'll update that with uh, all that information later uh, but uh if you also find yourself here in austin texas You know, a lot of people are coming to visit now. Pandemic is kind of over with. we got more festivals and whatnot happening in the town. Always something happening here. So if you do find yourself here in town, whether it's for us or something else, don't hesitate to call us. Just let us know first. kcoolmans at gmail.com. Let us know what your plans are for Austin. Are you moving here? Are you just passing through? Whatever it is that you're planning on doing, let us know. And we might be able to hang out with you. All right, everybody, that is it. Again, thank you so much. This is this has been I, I haven't even processed my feelings for this interview yet. It's been incredible. And uh, look forward to doing more because of you. Alright everybody, good night, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whatever you are listening to, or you happen to be watching this, goodbye and stay toasty.